Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Vulnerability Sunday. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise, glory, honor, and adoration for who you are to us. Thank you because you are good. Thank you because you are kind. There is none that compares to you. And you are true to your word. You say something and you do it every time. And we have every reason to trust you. And we're gathered again together here, Bible Marathon, this platform that you've given to us as a supplemental tool to build ourselves in our faith. Lord, we want to receive all that you have for us today. we open our hearts and our minds, we remove every restraint, and we allow God to work in us today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, welcome everybody, and I'm sure the co-hosts are helping out to add people in. So I just want to, because I know we're having a few people who are here for the first time, so I'm just going to give us a really brief um, summary of what we do here. This is Bible Marathon. It's a vision from God to help Christians build themselves in their faith and majorly in four aspects, you know, Bible interpretation, defending your faith, your charismatic ministry, and helping you even with accountability, all right? So all these things are put together to to help you run that race, and that's why it's called Bible Marathon. All right, so um, right now we're going to do a review of the book of Titus. How many of us read the book of Titus? How many of us read the book of Titus? Okay. I mean, if you're just joining, you probably don't know that we're reading it, so it's fine. But yeah, I'm good. Wait, no, only Daniel. Okay, Dami, awesome. Great. I did. All right. And then some people on Mixer too. Let me say hi, by the way, to those on Mixer. Grace, hi, Grace. Hi, Chama. Uh, hi, Shay. All right, hi to everybody there. Hi, Ife and Oladi. Hi, hi, hi. Inka just joined as well. All right, so yeah, um, if you read it, it was beautiful, but we're going to have um, Buki take us through what we'll find in that letter. So, Buki, over to you right now. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon. Hope I trust your Sunday is going well. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance in case you hear any baby noises. It's just my highness <laughs> in the background. Okay, so I'll just go straight to the point. Um, Titus has three chapters, three very direct and impactful chapters. So as we usually do. Um, so Titus was written by Paul to Titus. And basically the context of Paul writing the letter to Titus was that Titus was basically appointed to Crete. And the people in Crete were basically known for their laziness. They were known for lying. They were basically known for bad behavior. Let me just put it that way. So Paul sent Titus to Crete to um, teach them and to help them become better Christians. Um, Cause um, the Cretans, I hope I got that right. They, some of them were Christians, but they were not acting out 
um, the Christian way of life. So they were Christians by mouth, but then they were still doing things the way the Christians used to do it. And I mean, you can't blame them when you're used to a certain way of doing things. Um, yes, you can accept Jesus Christ, but probably your lifestyle still remains the same. So that's basically the summary. So I'll just go chapter by chapter. So basically in chapter one, we see Paul doing his usual introduction. And um, yeah, the summary of chapter one is that Paul wanted Titus to appoint new leaders, leaders that did not have bad behavior. That's basically why he had to highlight that the leaders that you are the leaders that you are um, picking out for the church or selecting for the church, they have to be blameless, husband of one wife, they have to be upright, they have to hold fast the faith of the word that is being taught. Basically, they, when compared to the normal Cretans or the normal leaders of Crete, they need to be better, not only inwardly, but very, very much importantly, outwardly, because they need to see that this is how a Christian leader should be. And... Paul also emphasized to Titus that um, he was not only supposed to appoint new leaders, but also to confront the present leaders or the corrupt leaders and to change the view of the people, um, the way the people saw, the way the people saw those leaders. So you see Paul saying the criteria for um, appointing leaders, and then you see him highlighting why it's important for Titus to appoint elders. And um, and then in verse six, you can see that Paul also mentioned that they need to be believers who have no reputation of being wild or rebellious, which just highlights what I mentioned earlier, that the people in Crete, some of them were believers, but they had a reputation for probably being rebellious or being wild, and that just doesn't add up. So, and then another very important thing that Titus had to do was... Um, bring down the false teachings because they had heard or the, the past leaders or the past corrupt leaders were teaching the false things and saying, oh, you have to be circumcised. If not, you are not saved. You have to be this way. If not, you are not saved. Basically just teaching the opposite of the gospel. Um, so you can see that verse 16 saying that corrupt people, they claim to know God, but their life does not reflect this. Basically their life is detestable. Um, they are disobedient and they don't do anything good. So basically, that's the summary of chapter one. So chapter two, um, Paul is basically targeting um, the household. So let me say chapter one is for the elders or the leaders. Then chapter two is basically for the household. So you see where he mentions, um, um, like basically chapter two is just explaining how a Christian household should be, the role how um, the fathers should be, how the mothers should be, how the young young women should be, how the young men should be, basically the way that they're supposed to be. And then you see Paul also highlighting that, hey, Titus, you also need to be an example to these guys in your teaching. And you need to make sure that you're, te you're teaching the truth and that you're, what you're teaching has integrity. And I, I think that was like a, it was, how do I put it? It was like a light bulb moment for me because, you know, as a Christian, you have to be, you have to ensure, even if you're posting scriptures every day on your status or you're, you're just um, maybe doing social media related stuff, you need to make sure that your life actually also aligns with that. And so that people don't look at what you're teaching and they're like, 
<laughs> imagine if Titus was teaching one thing and then he was doing another. They would just be like, what's this guy doing? He's so confused. <laughs> You're doing this. What do you expect us to do? So um, so basically, chapter three is still very much applicable. Chapter two is still very much applicable today. Everything is very much applicable today. Um, so you can see from verses 11 to 15, Paul is further mentioning um He's talking about the grace of God, talking about salvation, talking about what salvation does, basically just highlighting it to um, Titus so that he would, you know, target his preaching in the right way. Then to wrap it up, Paul goes to chapter three. And um, I, I like how chapter three started by reminding people that they need to be subject to rulers and authorities. They need to obey and they need to be ready for every good work. Because, um, I mean, when you become better, when you have um, better elders, when your household is in the right, there's a tendency that you would um, want to, should I say, disrespect the, disrespect the rules or regulations that have already been set up in wherever you are, because maybe you know better than them, or you, you've, you've reached a higher stage than them, or things like that. But Paul is highlighting that, yeah, regardless, you still need to um, obey your leaders and obey authority. And also just to highlight that, yes, after you pick elders, Titus, after you select elders, you also need to um, make sure that these guys actually obey these um, elders as well. So to me, chapter three summary, chapter three is basically talking to us as individuals, sorry, talking to the Cretans as individuals. So chapter one is for elders chapter or leaders. Chapter two is for the household and chapter three, is basically for the um, for the individuals, um, and Paul highlights that they need to devote themselves to being good and to doing good. He also highlights um, what salvation is all about once again. Um, he says in chapter four, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Um, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us abundantly to Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, just basically re-emphasizing what salvation is all about. And then he says, avoid foolish disputes, generous contentions. Basically, avoid things that would not, um, that would not, um, things that would make you turn back to your bad behavior and things that would not highlight you as an upright Christian. And then, yes, we have the farewell, farewell message from Paul to Titus. So that's that's basically a recap of, of Titus. Awesome. Thank you very much, Bucky. I hope we all were able to hear what she said. Okay. Yep. All right. So that was beautiful. I hope you read Titus. Um, I think Titus is just a very beautiful book. Um, especially when you realize that this is Paul writing to someone who is like his son to him and giving instructions, um, applicable instructions for every one of us as well. So I would recommend that you go back and read the book of Titus if you haven't. Man, God has brought us so far, right? So um, since we started, for those of you who have been here for from the very beginning this year, we have read nine? No way more than nine books. Oh, I need to keep track. Jude, James, Second Peter, all the letters of John, um, the two letters to Thessalonians, we've read Galatians, we've read, did I say James already? Um, we've read Titus. Man, we're 
that's amazing and if you're following this like the beautiful thing to do is just follow a plan just join a plan that works and we made this very very easy for you with accountability partners i'm hoping they're reaching out to you i know some are some are just extremely busy but regardless please it's your responsibility to grow in the word of god and we are just giving you that platform that opportunity to do that all right. So I want to say welcome to everyone again. We are discussing something very, very important today. You know, so every single Sunday is dedicated to a certain theme, you know, as, as kind of a guideline to help us out in understanding different aspects of our faith. And so, in you know, the first Sunday is always dedicated to how to interpret the Bible. And please don't miss next week for anything. Next week is a new month. We're going deeper into our understanding of how to interpret the Bible. Don't miss it. Um, Apologetic Sunday is the Sunday after that. And we're answering questions about, you know, a lot of people have questions about the Trinity. Uh, is Jesus God? Um, you know, things around that. So we're going to be having a very nice discourse. Um, one of our brothers on this call right now would be there. And it's going to be enlightening. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. And then the, the week after is going to be focused on Charisma Sunday. So we're learning about the spiritual gifts. But this time, answering more specific questions. I'm not sure exactly what, exact, um, what the title will be. But we might delve into looking at some of the gifts specifically. Like the tongues gift, interpretation of tongues. What is it? Are they actual languages? Are they unintelligible languages? These are, I want you to be able to know that you are being taught here. That's my commitment to you, to make sure that I'm, we're providing, with, um, providing you with the word of God, with instructions, with, with biblical guidance. That's like my goal here. So keep coming, keep learning, keep growing, all right? And um, as usual, Sundays, the last Sundays of the month, which this is this is the last Sunday of the month? It's the last day of the month too, if I if I'm right. And we are going into a very important topic. Vulnerability Sundays are those Sundays where we're going to take off every mask. All right, we're going to go to the root of the problem. We don't want to be Christians who are hypocritical. You know, let's see the problem. Let's speak about the problem. Let's see what God's word says about the problem. And let's deal with it the, the, the God kind of way, right? So that's what we want to do. And today we're talking about temptations. But I want to start with a scripture, all right? So let me start with this scripture. Um, I'm going to ask someone to just say a very short prayer, committing this teaching to the hands of God. So can anyone help with that? Just I can pray. All right, go ahead, Ife. Thanks. All right. Um... Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity again to study your word and grow and build up our spiritual muscles. Father, we glorify you for your provision of the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate here on earth. And, you know, you speak to us through him. You guide us through him, Lord. I pray that whatever we learn today may it stay in our hearts and minds and may we make it applicable to every area of life as we continue to push your gospel and your kingdom forward. Um, we thank you for our group. We thank you for all the individuals here, as we're all brothers and sisters, friends, and we're pretty much family here. So we're grateful for this opportunity again. And we just look forward to what we're going to learn. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
Amen. Thank you so much. All right. So while I'm teaching, um, I need you to do something because at the end, we will have a very short breakout room uh, session and it's going to be guys together, ladies together. And um, I just want you to, if you don't have an M or an F after your name, try to rename it based on your gender. So if you're male, you want to have a an M after your name. And if you're a female, you want to have an F just right after. So that will help us in uh, sorting at some point later on. All right, um, let's go on. So let's go to Colossians chapter one. And this 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 is a book that um, is super instructive. Uh, yeah, okay, here we are. Colossians chapter one, and there's a prayer. I'm gonna read that prayer real quick. I hope you can see it. Oh, it's really small. It's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll just go with this. I'll read it clearly. All right. So Colossians chapter one. Paul is praying. He says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul is praying for the church in Colossae and he's praying this that, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Pay attention to those things. So the knowledge of his will, then he says, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order. Why do we pray this? That you may live a life worthy of the Lord. God wants you to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. A life that is in line with his will. This is God's desire. This is why Paul is praying this. When you read the, the Pauline prayers, you need to pay attention to details. In fact, I would recommend that you pray these prayers for yourself. For enough of all those die by fire prayers and all those, um, ah, the enemy my village, or all those kind of things that, you, that a lot of people pray for. You know, even stop praying for houses and cars and all of those things. Prioritize God's own desire for you. And that's what we see here. God wants you to live a life worthy of the Lord that you may please him, look at the text, may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance. So he ends with the gospel. He says, I'm praying all these things, but ultimately it's that you would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance, in the inheritance of the saints. The point I'm making here is that God wants us to live a life worthy of him. And that's why this topic is important. The reason this discussion on handling temptations is important is because you have to overcome temptations to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. You know, there are a lot of Christians that don't don't realize that we have a responsibility to please God now. You know, there's very, very, uh, uh, I mean, plethora of teachings on how we are already pleasing to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that is 100% true. God has made us holy and blameless in Christ. So when we put our faith and trust in Christ, God sees us the way he sees Jesus. That's very valid. That's true. But then there is a practical sense of this legal part. God has seen, has made us righteous in Christ. But there is a vital aspect where 
your life must align with your spiritual reality. Your life must look like what has happened in the spirit. So that's why there's so many instructions on live pure, you know, say no to ungodliness and youthful loss, like we should we learned in, in Titus, right? If you read Titus, you'd have seen that. So we need to learn about handling and overcoming temptations. If we're going to live this kind of life that Paul is praying that we would live, you know, the, the believer must delight in the word of God and the laws of God. <sighs> I want to hammer on this a little bit before we get in there. God has standards. And he wants us to live by those standards. And every command of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24 says, he gave them commandments and he did that for their own good. For their own good. God gives us instructions. God tells us how we ought to live. He gives us the word, the law, or as you would call it, to, to, to guide us to give us direction on how we should live. So that's why, you know, the, the psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of God in which, which he meditates in day and night. So that's God's idea for the Christian. But this idea is, is so countercultural today because guess what the world is telling us? on a daily basis. I mean, Twitter, uh, I'm not on Twitter, but I mean, that's where everything starts. <laughs> everything starts on Twitter, gets finds its way to Instagram, finds its way to WhatsApp status. So I definitely end up seeing a lot of stuff. And the world's idea is the opposite. The world and, and media at large, generally, TV, you know, it promotes living like there are no restraints, no boundaries. You hear things like live your best life, do whatever you want to do, you know, um, hashtag haters, you're going to hate, hashtag, you don't live, just, there's just this emphasis on self-gratification and, and just, yeah, you only live once, YOLO, all of these things. And these are not God ideas. Let me, let me paint a picture of God's ideas to you. No matter how, bad the culture might seem. God's word will always stand. God's standard is high. So God's idea is this, for example, that you love your wife as a husband, that you love just her as passionately as possible. You know, God's desire in his word is that you should hate divorce, regardless of what you experience. You know, um, if you were, maybe you're in, right now you're in a family where there's some kind of dysfunction, that doesn't determine your own life. You, you look at God's word. God's word is, God's word says, hey, no, no, no divorce. I don't want divorce. From the very beginning, it was not so. You know, God's desire is that we speak the truth always. There's no white lie. There's no black lie. There's no any other thing, any other form. It's truth. Speaking the truth in love always. You know, God's, God's idea is living and working hard, working hard at your job, working hard at school, as though you were working for the Lord. Colossians 3, uh, verse 23, right? Um, treating respect, treating women with respect, you know, honoring your parents, 
and, and your parents can be super annoying sometimes, but God's word will stand. God's word is, hey, you must honor your parents. And people might look at all these things and say, what, why, why all these commands? Why all these instructions? You know? And so the world is peddling a false idea of freedom. But you know what's interesting? Listen to this. Uh, and this is how my pastor said it, if I recall. He said, uh, true freedom is when you discover the sacredness and boundaries in God and you're okay with it. Like, you know that God has put boundaries, but you're okay with it. The, the irony is that there is nothing that imprisons a person than a life without restrictions. Do you see the irony? It's like, Restrictions are meant to save you. There's this comic, this very, very interesting comic that um, I saw once. And in that comic, um, there were two kids. And those two kids had, um, they were in the garden, basically. And then they had a, they had a mom um, that told them, hey, don't go across the barrier. There's, so there's a barrier at the edge of the garden and it's like, don't go over the guardrails. And so the kids started being curious. And one of them was like, I'm going to just see what's over there. And so he runs to the edge of the guardrail and jumps over. And guess what happens? He jumps over and falls down several miles because that garden was on a cliff. And that guardrail was a protective measure to prevent them from death. And that's what God's word is. It's a guardrail. So when the word of God says, hey, flee sexual immorality, don't, don't fornicate, don't um, commit adultery, don't, don't, have, don't, don't hate, don't keep malice, be forgiven. All these instructions are for your own good. You, God has nothing to gain from it. <laughs> Do you understand? God is perfect. God has, he, if he gives you a command, it's because, number one, he knows what he created. And number two, he knows what you need more than you would ever know. And so people that live better lives by following the will of God, look back and say, yeah, God's, God's word, though it may have seemed strenuous or even sometimes against our own desires, but because we obeyed it, we're better, we're better for it. So it's, so it's so crucial that you understand that if you take boundaries off your life, you will be bound. <laughs> That's the truth. You know, someone might just be out there saying, you know, I don't care. I'm going to just do drugs and, you know, it's fine. It's not a problem. And guess what? They get addicted to, to taking drugs. Now they are bound. So their freedom has become bondage. And God is so wise. God is so, so actually, his wisdom so he puts these things out there for us as guardrails and says, this is how I, you ought to live. Let me show you a verse before we proceed. Romans uh, 6, 16. Look at this. This is, uh, this is beautiful. <laughs> Paul says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So the whole idea is you're always going to be a slave. But choose who you're going to be a slave to. Will you be a slave to your evil desires? Would you be a slave to sin? 
Or would you be a slave to a perfect master? Because a perfect master will never treat you badly. A perfect master will never treat you as a slave. In fact, a perfect master will treat you as a son. So there's nothing better than being the slave of a perfect master, is what I'm saying. And God is your master. God is your, is your father. And like I've taught previously, he's your daddy. So you have, a, you have more than a, an employer-employee relationship with God. No, you, you are a child of God. Praise God. And, and in the words of James, uh, I think it was John Owen. John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And this is profound. I don't know if, you, if you've watched my video, the video I did recently, it will help you because I mentioned a lot of things in that video that clarified the issue of, you know, once saved, always saved. And I, I, made, it, I made it emphatically clear that, hey, salvation is free. It is, it is lavish. God has given it freely to everyone who who believes if you believe in Jesus and you hold on to that salvation with all of your life, you will be saved. You have eternal life, you know, but there is the other side to it because there is faith, faith involved. That faith is what receives that salvation. And what can happen is that your faith can fail. You can abandon the faith. And what would cause that sin? Sin is always what causes you to lose track or lose sight of what is important. And that's what, that's, I digress. That's not what we're talking about today. But um, if you haven't watched that video, go watch, watch it. It would, it would um, answer a lot of questions. So let's talk about temptation. Let's talk about temptation. What is temptation? How does it come? Um, let's look at if, let me even hear from you guys. I'm sure you, you already will have the answer at the top of your head. So does anyone want to tell me where temptation comes from? And I mean, this may seem elementary, right? This is like basics of, I don't know, the Christian life. But I don't want you to see it that way. See it as, as an intervention plan, as God trying to help you see something you probably haven't seen before on this topic. All right. So does anyone want to speak? Where does temptation come from? Um. Can I... Oh. I, okay, go go for it. Yeah, uh, ladies first. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, I think, in my own opinion, I think temptations actually stem from stem from our desires, things that we want, um, things right. that we kind of crave, and things that part of our, it. It comes from our desires. Yeah. So. All right. Awesome. Who else wants to add to that? Thank you, Victoria. Um, can I still go? Sure. So um, I agree with what Victoria said. Um, I had like two different sources of temptation, but the funny thing is I think they go hand in hand. So um, kind of like desires to be more specific, I would say one source is the human heart itself, you know, because the word of God says that the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know its ways? Um, Romans, Paul talked about how the wickedness of the human heart actually suppresses the truth of God. When you, when, you know, when you, you rebel against God. So I think, I think the human heart is one source. The other source I was going to say was actually, you know, Satan himself, you know, the accuser. But in a way, I, when I think about it, I think they go hand in hand. Um, I think Satan can offer you 
temptation which can appeal to your heart, you know, a desire that can appeal to your flesh. You know, and if you succumb to it, you're going to fall into sin. That's so well said. Thank you. I, we have Bible scholars here. And I, I mean, it seems trivial. That's why I said this is a topic that might just seem like, oh, yeah, Sunday school. I learned it when I was growing up. But no, don't see it that way. Um, yeah, there, there are two main sources, and they're actually very similar, or they work hand in hand, like Ife said. Um, the first one is the tempter. In fact, that's what the word of God calls Satan, the tempter. So I want to show you a few verses to um, give more, shed more light on this concept. So the tempter, right? Let's look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. When you hear Matthew chapter 4, what comes to mind immediately is the temptation of Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus, uh, do you see my screen? Okay, cool. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit. This is Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1. He was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So we see the agency of temptation here is the devil, right? And this is how to read the Bible. You want to come to a conclusion, let the Bible answer your questions. Don't come with preconceived notions, all right? That's a teaching for Hermeneutics Sunday. But yeah. And he says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And look at verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You know, I want to say something here as, as a digression. Um, many people don't really understand what happened here, the temptation of Jesus. And I want to try to just help you see it if you haven't seen it before. You know, I don't know if what you're picturing is Jesus walking into the, the wilderness, so like a desert, nobody's there, and then he's walking there, and he's there praying and fasting. You know, picture this, picture this, right? Several days, day one, day two, day three, day four. So he's, in, he's alone in the wilderness. He's just day five, day six, day seven. I'm trying to help you see mental picture here. And then several days, and then while he's there, we don't know what day in particular, but he's there. He, we know that after 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. And I mean, that's the most, that's the, that, that hits me a lot, like, why is he just hungry after 40 days? But that's a conversation for another day. But then look at something. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. How do you think it happened? Do you think the devil was there in a physical form, maybe with like scary horns, like people imagine, like horns and I don't know, pitchfork. I don't know how you imagine the devil. And you think he just came like that and tried to tempt Jesus? Well, that would not be that would not be logical because if if he came that way, it's not a temptation because the whole idea of temptation is deception. So you're meant to see something that is not. So he's not going to come to you the way you expect him to come, right? I mean, if the devil came to tempt you in the most obvious way, you would definitely say no. You wouldn't even think twice. So the whole idea is 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 um craftiness as we will see even further so he tells him to turn stone into bread and then jesus responds it is written man shall man does not live live by bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god 
Then look at the next thing. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Where was Jesus? In the wilderness. But now he's in the holy city, standing at the highest point of the temple. And somehow this temple, if he's the son of God, the devil tells him, throw yourself down. It's written, he will command his angels uh, concerning you and they will lift you with their hands, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And he says, it is also written. Jesus responds and says, it's written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, so Satan is still tempting him. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And I'm just wondering, wait, how is all of this happening? This is in the wilderness. Jesus is out there. Satan is tempting him. But he's in so many locations. And he's seeing things that normal natural eye should not see. For example, how many kingdoms of the world can you see from a high mountain? So... The, what, the point I'm trying to bring out here is that the temptation of Jesus happened where every temptation happens, in the mind. That's what you need to realize. Jesus was hungry, and all of a sudden, the devil tempts him in his thoughts. You're hungry. You're the son of God. You have all the power in the world. See these stones. Turn them to bread. Guess what? Jesus could. <laughs> Jesus could have turned the stones to bread, eaten it and walked on and yeah, I'm done. But the issue was not whether he had the power or not. It was the fact that he was being tested to do something that his time had not yet given. It, it wasn't his time. And, you know, there are times where Jesus would tell, like at the um, wedding at Cana, he told his mom, I'm, I'm not, my time is not yet to come. So don't make me do it. But he eventually did it. And there's a, there's a reason for that. But that's a study for another day. But the point here is Jesus was tempted just like we are. That's the whole point. That's what Hebrews teaches. So where do you get tempted the most? Or where does temptation happen? Right here. Or I don't know. This is where I know the mind is. <laughs> well, all right. So, but let's go on, right? So the tempter, we see the devil is the tempter. Uh, there's another scripture that kind of lets us know that this is... Um, and I mean, we're going through this systematically. Hope you don't mind. It's a Bible study so that when you really want to remember these things, you're able to know where they are. So First um, Thessalonians chapter 3 from verse 5. Look at this. We read First Thessalonians um, a week, few weeks back. So what's happening here? There's a whole context. You know, Paul was worried. He sent Timothy to check on the people, the believers, to find out if they were doing well. And then, you know, he was really worried because they were being persecuted. Look at this, verse 3. So that no one will be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Then he says in verse 5, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. So Paul is like, ah, these people are being tested, persecuted. I hope they are still in the faith. I hope they are still holding strong to their faith because that's a big issue. If, if, if Paul didn't think anything could go wrong with their faith, he wouldn't be worried about it. You know, this is a hint to some of the things I've been talking about recently. He says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter, you see, he's referring to the tempter again, might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. 
So everything that he had worked for, preaching the gospel, bringing these people, you know, to trust in Christ and everything, he said that the, the persecution they were going through could have caused them to, to, to be, to have been tempted. So, and he calls the source of this temptation the tempter, which is Satan. So, one thing I just want to add here in all we said is, we, we get it, we get a picture of how to deal with temptations from Jesus's example, right? What did Jesus do when he was tempted? He responded with the word of God. That's number one. And number two, he spoke out. You need to speak out. Don't be that person that when the thoughts, the bad thoughts come to your mind or you get tempted, you're just doing like this. Mm-mm, I'm not, mm-mm, and you're just shaking your head. Shaking your head doesn't take the thought away. In fact, closing your eyes even makes you worse sometimes. So um, the whole idea is, you know, speak out. And that's something we learn from Jesus. Jesus, imagine Jesus there tempted in, by the devil and there's no one there and he's speaking out loud. You know, that's that's um, instructive. But then the second thing, which um, Dim Lade, also known as Victoria, I don't know where he changed your name, and Ife rightly said, you know, they spoke about our desires. So that would be number two, our desires or the heart. So James chapter one would be a good reference here. And we've read James too. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Like the way God gives me like the, the book we're supposed to read, I honestly don't plan it. I just say like, Lord, what, what do we do next? And it, it just seems like it's been following a pattern that, that has been helping, um, helping us here. Hope I'm not too fast. You guys are following, yeah? Awesome, awesome. There's just so much to cover, but that's why I'm rushing. All right, James chapter 1 from verse 14. Let's start from verse 13, just for context sake. It says, ah, verse 12. Oh, my Lord, I'm going to write this down. God just showed me something now. Uh, Sorry, one second. I hope you guys get these like aha moments <laughs> when you're studying the scriptures. Like it's blowing my mind. I'm like, I've been asking for clarity on a topic and it just hit me now to prove that, yeah, that's really what it should be. Okay. But that's verse 12 for someone who is wondering what I saw. So James chapter one from verse 13, let's just go to 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. So don't think that God can tempt you. God will never tempt you. God is not the author of temptation or the source of temptation. He's not the tempter. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire or lust, he is dragged away and enticed. The Greek word there for evil desire is epithumia, something similar to that, talking about lusts, um, human, earthly, worldly passions, desires, longings. That's what it would be there. So sometimes it's not even the devil that's tempting you. It could be your own desires of your old man. By the way, I'm going to teach on that later on. Um, The fact that when you got saved, uh, the true salvation really took place in the realm of the spirit, right? So it's a spiritual reality. 
Um, but you didn't become fatter or thinner after you got saved. Nothing changed physically. Your mind, you still know the movies you've watched. You still know what you learned in school. Nothing changed. Your mind is still the same. Um, and so that's why when you do believe in, in Jesus and you become uh, a, 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 a Christian, you might still struggle with certain things you struggled with in the world. And that's why the, the word of God now comes to say, hey, you've been changed, you've been transformed, live as the new person that you are. But your mind needs to be renewed. There's work that needs to be done. But here's the thing, the unrenewed mind can have lust and desires that are counterproductive, that are against the will of God. And that's what this is talking about here. Anyone who is tempted is tempted when by their own evil desires they are dragged away. And how does it grow? Pay attention to the progression. The progression is, first of all, the evil desire drags you away and you're enticed. So that evil desire becomes overwhelmingly good to you. It seems good to you. It seems at that moment you can't do anything but that thing that is coming to you. And then the next thing, look at the, 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 the procession. Then after desire has conceived, what is con con conception? Science students. That, 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 that phrase, shouldn't, I shouldn't say science student because it has another connotation. But yeah, what, what does conception mean? Birth? No, conception. Maybe, what does conception mean? I guess like forming. Yeah, like the beginning process in childbearing. So, I mean, after two people, man and woman, have sexual intercourse, something happens, right? That the moment um, there is an embryo, please correct me if I'm wrong, scientist and all of you. Once there is an embryo or a fetus or something, that's conception. That's the beginning. So when it is conceived, that's the term he's using here. Like when that begins, that process, that's where it starts. What do you know will happen after nine months? There'll be a child, <laughs> like a full grown child. And so that's the imagery that James is painting. So it first starts as pregnancy. That loss, it drags you. So pregnancy, it's been imprinted. So you're all, all that is happening is you're just waiting for time and opportunity. That's what is left. So, and, and I'm going to talk about this, that you don't fight sin at the end. You don't fight, fight sin when you're tempted. You start the battle before, long before, before conception occurs. Because it's very difficult to abort it. Very. In the spirit. In, in, when it comes to spiritual things like this. So it says when, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, full grown, which is the idea of a baby, gives birth to death. So there's a progression. This is very, don't, don't, make, don't take this symbolically. This is exactly what he means. Sin will produce death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, the carnal mind is enmity against God. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. <sighs> Dear Lord Jesus. Continued progression in a lifestyle of sin would lead to death. There is no, there is no way around it. And so that's why there are severe warnings in scripture to avoid it. 
Because a, a continued practice and pattern of sin is something that can be super destructive to your life. Let me show you another example of this same picture of our desires tempting us. Um, and this is Paul's perspective on this. Paul was talking about the, the lust for money in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse, verse 9. And some of you, if you've not seen this verse before, maybe you need to see it today. People who want to get rich, <laughs> people who want to get rich fall into temptation. And I, I, I would add, and I think that's the context here because you have to read the whole context. People want to get rich at all costs. So your ambition, your goal is, I just want to be wealthy and materially prosperous. And that's like, your thrust in life, it says you are going to fall into temptation, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. That's the same Greek word there, epitomia, that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So the whole point is this, it, it keeps pushing, it keeps pushing, it keeps pushing. And, on, and, and it gets to a point where this baby has to come out. And that's, that's the desire aspect of temptation. So there is obviously Satan who is, I mean, the Baba of the tempters. He has had several years of experience, you know, in this temptation business. So he knows how to get to people. He has mastered the art. Um, and you know the advantage we have? The devil is a spirit. Spirits don't change. Spirits don't grow. They don't reproduce. So it's the same devil that has been there from the beginning that tempted Eve that we're dealing with today. So we have the advantage of knowing his schemes. That's why the Bible says we're not ignorant of his, of his devices, right? Um, but one more aspect to this discussion. Let's look at how temptation first occurred. And there's a lot to learn from the book of Genesis um, chapter 3. I just want to show us that before we move on to actual practical steps to overcome temptation. So we're in Genesis chapter three from verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I have so much to say here. <laughs> The, 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 this, is, this is the devil's method, his methodology, his strategy, is to question what God said. So God says premarital sex is wrong. It is destructive. You shouldn't be involved with it. And if you have, I'm just here to remind you that, hey, the grace of God is abundant. You can receive forgiveness in him. He has cleansed you. If this was your life before, you are pure. There's a deeper purity than virginity that you can have in Christ. So don't let um, your past mistakes define who you are, all right? But having said that, the word of God still doesn't change. Premarital sex has its consequences. It's bad. It's terrible. And because of that, God makes it clear severally in scriptures, telling people to avoid this, flee from it, blah, 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 right? But what does the devil do? He normalizes it. First of all, he questions it. Did God really say? Look at this. Did God really say you shall eat? 
you shall not eat from this tree. Because God did say it, but he's testing Eve to see if she would agree with what God said. And for a moment, she did. Look at the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree, the trees in the garden. But God did say, so yes, God actually said it. And so the first level of temptation didn't work because clearly Eve understood the instruction. It shows that she was not oblivious to the fact that God said, don't eat from this tree. It says you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. See how detailed she said, exactly how God told her. So she, she got the instruction. But look at what um, the tempter says next. The same pattern. He hasn't changed. This is how he works today. This is how he works. And man, I'll, I'll share my story at some point. But this, when you understand this, it just helps you. Things become clearer. You, you find there's a strength that comes with knowledge. I promise. He says, you will not surely die. God said you will surely die. And the devil is saying the very opposite of what God said. You will not surely die. And what would happen? But but you know, obviously, when you bring a lie, you have to pad it with some layers of truth or else it will not be acceptable. So what happens? Can someone read verse 5? I also want to read verse 5 on the screen. Yeah. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Thank you. Question. Was this true? Think. Was this true? Were their eyes open when they ate of that tree? Yes. Right. Yes. This is a half truth. Exactly. Exactly. I believe the first half was true. Yeah. Um, that their eyes will be open. Yeah. And I also believe that, you know, knowing good and evil as well, um, being like God, I'm not sure of. Yeah. So exactly why Ifes said half truth. So if the devil is going to get to you, it's a lie padded with half truths, padded with similitudes of truth. So I want you to start thinking as I'm sharing these things, because you need to apply it. That was, that was, um, the whole idea of, sorry, I think who mentioned it earlier, I think someone prayed for us that we should apply, we should apply what we learn. That's the main point. So think about how you've been tempted lately or something that you get tempted often by. There is that moment in your mind where you, you first of all struggle, you know this is wrong for a fact, but then the way the tempter, or even your desires will, will tell you, it will come to you and say, hey, okay, might be wrong. But remember, you have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth, right? But taking out of context, look at how, Jesus, how the devil tempted Jesus. He said he will give his angels charge over you. That was the word of God. <laughs> that was truth. But taken out of context. So the devil has mastered this thing, and you need to understand that this is the, the modus operandi of temptation. This is how it occurs. Truth with lies with truth with lies. 
and it's a mixture. And so you have to be discerning to know. When Satan was done with Eve, her view of the fruit was changed all of a sudden. She started, the Bible says, look at verse six, after this conversation, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So she saw the tree was good for food. How did she know it was good for food? Temptation. Something that was emphatically spoken against by God. She's receptive to it now. That's the nature of temptation. It, temptation weakens, tries to weaken your defenses of truth. It takes away the, the truth of that thing that God has clearly said and leaves you. And guess what? When, when, when it finally manifests and you fall for that temptation, guess how you feel at the end? Stupid. Because sin is useless. Sin is stupid. You, if, you, if you could go back in time, many times you have that feeling of, ah, if I could just go back in time, I mean, this was just a waste. Why did I do this? Why did I, you know, have this one night stand? Why did I, you know, there are many things that I can think of right now, but that's that's the nature of, of sin, temptation, de- deception. It's the same format. The devil has not changed. So now that we know how temptation comes, and at least we know that, our desires can also be the source of temptation. It means we can change our desires. We have the ability to do that by the word of God and we can deal with that aspect, but it doesn't mean that the devil will not still tempt us. So knowing all of this, how how do we now overcome temptation? And that's where I want to get to right now. And I was, I was when I was studying and preparing for this, I was like, how is, what's the best way to articulate what I see the word teach? about handling temptations and it just hits me that there is a terminology there's an apostolic terminology used by paul to address the believer when he's speaking about resisting the devil and stuff like that who can tell me what that term is what what paul likes to call the believer when it has to do with resisting the devil standing strong all of those things what what figurative term anyone who gets this guess Soldier. Oh my God! Who is that? Is that me? Okay, yes. get you fifteen dollars today. Good oh, job. Yeah. Please text me um, after. That's beautiful. Did you read my notes? <laughs> I by the spirit, yeah. But yeah, I mean it's the word of God, so that's why. But think about it. Paul says, as a good soldier of Christ, he just uses all of that. Talks about you know the whole armor of God. We're going to look at scriptures and all of those things and see how they actually apply all right so what i've done is i've done a deep study on every time an apostle talked about the term soldier or something similar to what a soldier would do and i've got points that i think we can remember so when you do want to remember this teaching just remember soldier and i think it makes it easy to recall because one of the most important things in the christian faith is recollection remembrance you always need to have a reminder don't think you know everything god wants you to keep remembering stuff all right so let's start with the first one the first point is know your enemy know yourself that's point number one know your enemy know yourself as a soldier you want to know who you're fighting 
You want to know your enemy. You want to know their artillery. You want to know what they have, how how devastating their weaponry is, where they are located, what they are trying to do, their plan. In fact, one of the things you find out in historical warfare was that if they got the plan of the other of the enemies, if they had the plan mapped out, they won the battle because they knew everything. They knew where they were going to hide. They knew where they could ambush them. So know your enemy, know what they have and what they are bringing, you know, against you. And then equally as important, know yourself. And when I say know yourself, you want to know what kind of soldier you are, what rank you are. There are certain things a soldier, and this may not tie in directly, but I want you to get the analogy I'm trying to paint here. There's a rank. Every soldier has a role on the field determined by the upper, the commander, right? Do this, you know, they'll give you instructions, you know, hold, don't do this, proceed, all of that stuff. How many of you have played Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, or maybe watched, uh, oh, wow, didn't like that you play games. Yeah. I love, I love ladies that play games too. Um, so back to our point. Okay. So the, the, you, you see stuff like that. You watch movies where you see war and you, you notice that there is this emphasis on order, structure, you know, you, knowing where you're, you need to be at a particular time. And this is so crucial because knowing your enemy and knowing yourself is half the victory. What do I mean by knowing your enemy? Know what the enemy is trying to do know the that's why the bible says we're not ignorant of his, of the devices of the enemy we know his plans his strategies but knowing yourself is important because there are areas that you might be tempted in that i would never be tempted in how many of you know what i'm talking about like nobody can tempt me to smoke <laughs> i mean i'm just using that as an example nobody can tempt me to smoke or to get drunk because I don't even like drinking in the first place. So I don't have any desire issue there. I don't have anything. But someone else might find it difficult. Someone else here might have very light temptations when it comes to lust. Like they've not been exposed to things that stir up lust in them so much. I mean, everyone is tempted with some level of lust. Um, but there are people that they cannot handle any little temptation when it comes to loss because they have that's just their area of weakness so you have to know yourself and this is super important look at um ephesians right ephesians this this is just talking about knowing your enemy and how to prepare right so ephesians chapter 6 from verse 11 look at this put on the full armor so you're seeing that that analogy here put on the full armor of god that so that you can take your stand against the, the devil's schemes so the armor is supposed to be your dressing to be able to stand against the devil's schemes. so you've got to know the devil's schemes look at um the verse i was talking about earlier um second corinthians chapter two Okay, there it is. Verse. You know, look at this. There was a context here. I just want you to see something. 
like the devil is so crafty. He says, uh, verse from verse eight, I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. And then he says, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. So Paul is saying, please forgive this guy. There's a whole context here, but I'm rushing through. Forgive this guy. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm not even there, but I'm, if there's anything else, I have forgiven them. Like, I don't need to know what they did. I've just forgiven them ahead of time, is what Paul is saying. Then he says, this is the reason. In order that Satan might not outwit us. So it's possible through your unforgiveness to give an inroad for the devil, for Satan, the tempter, to outwit you. And he says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So you've got to know. You've got to be smart. I remember recently, because historically, right, there's something a few people here would know about me. You know, guys, I I, I have a few people here that I'm open with. Um, and I talk about my struggles and different things, his, uh, my history, and even my present struggles. And one of the major things I know about myself is I struggle with lust. And so I've, I've taken immense um, actions in the past and even currently that some people may look at it and say, you're just doing too much. But I know myself. <laughs> I know myself. So I know I know the limits that I can handle. I know there are certain things that if I just open myself to, or more, that's the end. And so because I'm aware of that, I am not aware of his scheme. So, I mean, recently there was a time. Um, so uh, this this would just be too much information, but let me just kind of summarize it in a, in a way that you, you understand. So basically, there's an area that I get tempted very often in, and I had for a very long time just cut off that channel completely. And so um, somehow that channel opened up again. And because thankfully I was aware that that was the source. Oh, sorry. I need to make someone a co-host. Sorry, guys. Uh. Daniel. Okay, there he is. Sorry for that, guys. Okay. All right. So as I was saying, because I was aware that that was the area, that that was the channel. I mean, I had this moment of, mm, I see what you're trying to do. Like, that's literally what I did. <laughs> I, I smiled. I said, I see what you're trying to do. I'm not stupid. So if you're not aware, you would keep falling and you keep saying, Oh Lord, why me? Why did I fall again? Why did I do this again? And you just keep going through that cycle. But God's wisdom is know your enemy. So there's a strategy in dealing with temptations. You don't just hope for the best and say, oh God, I just hope that you help me. God's way of helping you is use certain structures in your life to prevent those things from building up. And, you know, I, I, I just feel very led to to digress a little bit let me show you this scripture first hebrews hebrews chapter 12 and i think a problem today uh, generally in the church is the church doesn't talk about many things anymore and when they talk about it they just talk about it at the high level as if people are not aware of things that are happening like when you have you noticed when you gather together in church like everybody just becomes automatically perfect 
they are not going through any issues. There's nothing. Yesterday, they didn't do anything wrong. You know, before Bible study, we just have that assumption that we didn't do anything. You know, but that's very unbiblical. Like, <laughs> the, the, the biblical church was such a church that people spoke to each other about their faults. Like, I could re- literally, if I was there in that time, I could literally walk up to uh, Victor and say, Victor, like, man, like, man, or more, yesterday, there's this girl that was walking past, and I don't know where my mind went to. This is not like me. You know, I need I need to, you know, take control of my of my thoughts and, you know, make it subject to God's will. And then the brother will say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And you pray together, and you say, okay, how can we avoid that you know it's a heart problem like and then there's a, another girl that comes and says man i just hate this girl i just hate this hate this girl and she's open and honest and saying that this girl did this to me and she's telling her friend uh, another fellow sister in, in the church and that sister is not using it as a tool to to embarrass her you know but to say hey come here's what the word says forgive like that's the biblical idea but we've come to a time in the church that we don't talk about anything. So you look at someone like an Ernest and immediately you're like, ah, Omar, Ernest has everything all together. He's like, man, he's, and um, the, the, only, the fact that I would have a st- Bible study like this definitely shows that I've done some preparation and at least some level of consecration, but it doesn't mean I'm absolved from temptation. It doesn't mean that I am completely immune to the devil, like I, every single time the devil comes knocking at my door, like I'm like, pshum, 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 I got you. That's not true. There are times when I'm extremely weak that I'll pick up my phone. I'm literally lying down on my bed like I have no strength. And the only strength I have is to pick up my phone and just call and leave the call on so that my mind is totally distracted. This is me being real. And until we get to a point where we are real, we're not going to see healing. We're not going to see this area of our lives victorious because a lot of people this is what keeps you running away from meetings you know people run away from like you some people i'm saying this now without anyone in my mind god sees my heart but there are certain people that are not in this bible study now because they did something wrong yesterday and they feel guilty not knowing that this is where they should be (laughs) it's so messed up so i i just pray to god that we get things right um, and one area that I think the devil is really pulling very, very, very strong strings is the area of sexual impurity, you know. And I want us to, to talk about it a little bit um, because this is part of knowing the enemy. I want to show you some statistics because um, it's going to help you. So let's read the scripture first. I know I was uh, distracted a little bit. It says, therefore, since since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. So there are things that hinder us. And then, and the sin that so easily entangles. This guy knows something we don't know. The sin that so easily entangles. There could be something for Shaitan that easily entangles her. She needs to be aware of it because she has a cloud of witnesses who have fought strong. There's, you know, who else is here? So it's not be like I'm picking names. <laughs> Let me just pick someone randomly again. You know, Yinka, for example, might have something else that entangles, something that so easily trips you. And he says, hey, this is how to deal with it. Change your focus. 
place your focus on Christ. Like that's the message here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Take it away from that nation. We're getting there real quick. But I just wanted to, you know, the elephant in the room. Let's let's expose that elephant in the room. I want you guys to see some some scary statistics. And this may not be an issue for everyone here, but it's an issue for so many people in the body of Christ that everybody ought to know about it. Um, I will put this up here. So there is a, a website called Covenant Eyes. How many of us know that? If you know it, then you've been fighting like, like some of us have. So if you know this app, you probably know a little bit more. But I'm just showing, I want to show some statistics, uh, most recent statistics about one of the major scary things in the church right now. I mean, and, and generally speaking, <sighs> dear Lord. So do you see my screen? Let me try to make it full screen. All right. So basically some statistics on the point industry. This is one area that a lot of people are stuck in and they need, they need freedom from it. But because no one is talking about it, you just stay in there and it just keeps going on and on. And this one is one sin that births other sins. It, it births deception, lies. Um, it affects your natural life, your efficiency at work. It, it messes up your mind. It's just a whole lot of things. But guess what? They are teaching it in some high schools right now in the U.S. that, you know, pornography and masturbation are sexual, like just ways of learning sexuality. That's the biggest lie. You see what the devil is doing? He finds ways to pervert the truth. Is sex good? Yes, yeah, sex is good. Sexual pleasure is God's design. But it's, it, there's a context, there's a guardrail. Um, look at some stats here. Man, it's scary stuff. I was going through this and I was almost in tears because I have been addicted to porn before. And I know how, how devastating it is. You know, so I'm talking from a place of, of I've, I've, I'm talking from a place of pain and healing. So, like, I've been in a place of serious pain where I thought, man, there's no hope for me. And from a place of, wow, I've seen the, I've seen the power, the actual working of God through the word of God, through prayer and through accountability, having people to be honest and open with. And so I'm, I'm just, it's like the grace of God I'm thankful for there. And look at this. It says, these are some stats on pe how people perceive porn. 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging or accepting, um, encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. Like, it's now become a, nat a normal conversation. That's scary. The one that scared me was, look at this. This is scary. Teens and young adults, 13 to 24, believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. So not, not recycling a bottle, like throwing stuff in the trash, they perceive that as worse than pornography, which God calls almost the sin of all sins. Because pornography is from the Greek word porneia and graphe. So pornea means all forms of sexual immorality. Graphe means written or graphic form of that thing. So for some ladies, for example, they might not, they're not necessarily watching pornography, 
on websites, but they read books, they read novels, erotic novels, and it just stirs up ideas in their minds. That's actual word. That's mean of graphic, gra- written, pornography. You know, um, look at the point in the point in the church stats. Look at statistics in the church. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and currently struggling. That's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. My God. And we just read about what what Titus, um, Paul was telling Titus, right? That a, a leader must be pure, blameless. This is what the church is coming to. And you know why? We're not talking about it. We're forming holier than thou. You know, I'm better than you. At least I'm not struggling in this area. When God is saying, hey, come, confess your faults one to another and be healed. (sighs) There's a whole lot here, but you can go and check the statistics for yourself, all right? I don't want to spend too much time there. But this is one area that guys and girls alike struggle with. And the other things that we don't even talk about, too. Are the little lies some people lie for Africa? So, like, you don't even know. Some people have <laughs> ah, sometimes it's by default, you just lie, and it's like two days after you realize, oh, that was a lie told because it's so much a part of you. But liars, fornicators, they're all in the same category according to the scriptures. So, like I said, point one is know your enemy, all right, and know yourself. Um, number two, gear up, all right, gear up gear up and that's just from ephesians right ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 let's go back there so let me share my screen real quick point two is gear up he says put on the whole armor of god and then he starts describing the armor in verse 13 he says therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes so there's a day of evil and the day of evil there contextually is the day of temptation when the devil comes to attack you with a temptation or persecution or some form that of, of anything that wants to take you away from his will, it says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So it's not on the day of temptation that you are putting on your, your, your armor. Before, long before, set up structures, set up boundaries, live a life of a, a disciplined life. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the best breastplate of righteousness in place. He's mentioning what you need to have on your armory. And I don't have a lot of time to teach this, but I will some other time. You know, but read this. He says, your feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Meaning that the preaching of the gospel is a part of your armory. So one of the ways to fight temptation is to preach the gospel. I'm sure you've never heard that perspective before. But the, every time you preach the gospel to someone, there's something in you that's just built up, that stirs up faith in you and just gives you a resistance to sin. Um, and then he goes on to say, take on the shield of faith, which is like the very most, most important thing because it's your faith that you use to extinguish the fiery arrows of the evil one. And he says, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So gear up. That's what I'm saying. Be prepared. Don't wait for the time of temptation to deal with it. Start now. You know yourself more than anyone else. Sit down. Think about it. Where am I tempted the most? How? I, the whole goal here is you want to live a life pleasing to God. You want you to live the best Christian life you can because there are benefits here 
and in the afterlife of living a life that brings glory to God. And this is what you need to deal with. So your victory over temptation, it begins long before the temptation happens. You know, no one, no one has, don't, don't have it in your mind that there's, you know, anyone like has a massive fall and, you know, they just fell. Any, anytime you hear someone, you know, they say, I fell from grace. Someone who is like a great leader in the Christian community and oh, wow, they fell. No, they've been stumbling little by little by little by little. And now we see it as a great fall. It's, it's a process. So you deal with it now. I remember my status, I put it there. I said 20 20 year olds if you're in your 20s i said fight now <laughs> this is the time to fight this is the time to know yourself deal with these issues now don't wait you know recently there have been some saddening news <laughs> don't want to go into that now but people that you know you respect you see them and they're living a double life and it's it's this is the issue here you know no accountability no structures in place. You know, 2 Timothy 2, 2 verse 3. Let me show you that real quick. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. It says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier. You see that same terminology. And then he tells you something about a soldier. What do you know about a soldier? Verse 4 says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Meaning that there's a life they have. There's a... <laughs> There's a way they live that is different from a civilian. They eat different. They work different. They sleep. They wake up different. They're not like civilians because they want to please their commanding officer. That's profound. And that's us. You know, similarly, he gives the idea of an athlete too. You know, so that's point two. Gear up. Be prepared. Number three is, is very simple. Number three is fight with your squad. Have you ever seen a soldier going to the, the war front alone? Well, you're not Goliath. <laughs> I mean, even Goliath still had the army behind him, you know, ready to take over Israel and all of those people. But here, the idea is fight with your squad. God's idea is that the church is for your security. The church, the body of believers is for your security. They're the ones that are going to help you. They're the ones that, ones that are going to help you in your journey of uh, to to dealing with with temptations, look at look at what he says here um, in Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten. Consider how we may spur one another to good work, uh, to love and to good deeds. It says, "Let us not give up meeting together, aha, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another." All the more as you see the day approaching. The day is when? The coming of our Lord Jesus. So he says, encourage one another. What we're doing here is this. This is fulfilling this verse. We're meeting together, encouraging ourselves. Some things you would hear today are just what you needed to hear. And then, you know, he goes on to talk further and further there. And then James 5.16, which is the theme of Vulnerability Sundays. It says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. There is a sense in which your practical righteousness gives you confidence when you pray. And you see sins, healing from those sins, because when you commit sin, trust me, it's, it's, it requires healing. 
don't be that person that allows hardness of heart. When you do something wrong, be contrite about it. Be open about it. Be honest. Let it come out. Secrecy should not be known with you. When you do something wrong, have someone that you can go to and say, hey, I did this. And I think this is where the Catholic Church maybe might have got something right. You know, maybe, I don't know how they go about it, but that idea of confession, it's approached differently, but it's a biblical concept. So don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. All right? Let the word of God be your guide. Confession is a biblical concept. All right? But all the more, what I need to tell you as I end this is the first point. All right? And that is no surrender, no retreat. No surrender, no retreat. Don't give up. Are you hearing me? Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. No matter how many times you have stumbled, realize that you're not alone. God is committed to you. God is, he's got your back. He's got your back. I'm going to just show you a few scriptures to prove this. Second, um, First Corinthians 10, sorry. First Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, 13 to 14. And I just want to ask ahead of time, please, that would, I would, I would crave your indulgence that we could have an extra seven minute, minutes. It's for a breakout session, all right, where we just uh, break out into guys and girls and we just basically think about what, what we want to do next. We're not going to spend long, I promise. But I just feel like it's necessary that we do that today. All right, so have that in the back of your mind. If you haven't put your gender uh, right next to your name, please do that now. So look at this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 13 to 14. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You see that? And then he says, therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. So because God is faithful and he will keep you from being tempted, he will give you a way out when you are tempted. So you need to believe this. This is something to believe. God is saying, hey, don't feel like the temptation you are experiencing, no one else has experienced it. It's common to man. And God's commitment to you is that he's going to do his best. He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's God's commitment to you. And, and why can he do this? Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, um, chapter 2, I think it's verse 18. Because he himself, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted. And he's able to help those who are being tempted. You see? So because Jesus himself became a man, was tempted, as we saw in Matthew 4, and even tempted in more ways than you can think. Imagine the greatest temptation. He had the option not to die for our sins. The very reason we gathered together, he had a moment where he was like, God, I want this cup to pass over me. But at the end of the day, he said, nevertheless, your will will be done. That was the greatest temptation. If Jesus was able to overcome that, and that's your guy, that's the person you have backing you up, you have victory. It is assured. Just stay. No surrender. No retreat. You know, be accountable. Fight together with your with, with, with the team. All right. Fight with your squad. Be accountable. Gear up. Be prepared. And know your enemy and know yourself. And if you do all these things, you're going to see 
victory over temptation. And I'll let you know something. You might not win today, but have a, have a directional progression. So tomorrow should be better than today. The next day after tomorrow should be better. Like have that mindset of, okay, obviously this temptation I'm in, if it's something neurological, it may have taken a long time for you to get into it and your brain is messed up too. So it's a process. So be aware of those things and allow God to work in you. Because guess what? God is able and willing to work in you and to complete what he started in you. All right. The gospel is the most beautiful message. It's, it answers this question. The gospel is God's sovereign love and kindness towards you to say, hey, you no matter your flaws, I'm going to have you and accept you. But then don't take his grace for granted. Be like Paul that said, I will fight. Even though I have all the grace, but I will fight. But it's still that grace that works in me when I fight. That's the mindset of the believer. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.